Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be with you. Greetings from surprising Suffolk, the other side of the world, way over there. It's good to be here with you today. It's, um, I've enjoyed preaching around a little bit since I've been retired. I'm six months now into my retirement. People ask me how it's going, and I say, wonderful. I'm loving it, so it's good. Yes, turn with me if you've already not turned to Luke chapter 15, please. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 15. I'm going to read the entire chapter, actually. So if you'd find it, uh, that'd be great. I don't know. Jeff, do you always normally stand for the reading of God's Word or not? Just stay seated. Stay seated is fine then. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard some music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Several years ago, a 55-volume set of books was published with this title, The Great Books of the Western World. Mortimer Adler, perhaps you've heard of him, was one of the remarkable men behind the series. The first volume in the set contained a number of essays by some great thinkers. And the longest essay was on the subject of God. God. Not a Christian series, mind you. The longest subject was, the longest treatment was on the subject of God. When Adler was asked why the theme God got the longest treatment, this is what he said. Because more consequences for life follow from this one issue than any other issue you can think of. I think he's right. If you were to ask the man or woman on the street what God is like, you would probably hear something like this if they believe that God exists. They'd say something like, God is good. He's loving. He's perfect. He's kind. If you were to ask a professional theologian or a scholar, what is God like? They'd probably use some bigger words, words like omniscient, omnipotent, or trinitarian, or self-existent. If you were to ask Jesus that same question, what is God like? <laughs> he most likely would tell you a story rather than answer the question directly. Jesus loved to tell stories. We call them parables. You're in a series now. Jeff is on parables. If you read Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you'll discover that he told these stories, stories that he made up. He told these stories all the time. And stories, if you think about it, are a kind of indirect communication, aren't they? A way of telling something slant, as the poet Emily Dickinson puts it. That is, through the side door rather than through the front door. Sometimes when you're telling something new or surprising, something that challenges the status quo, if you go through the front door, defenses go up immediately. But you might have more success if you go through the side door. And that's what these parables do. Jesus knew that. It's not that Jesus' audience didn't know about God, but what God was up to in his day had some surprising and shocking twists and turns. And so Jesus decided to teach them through parables, through the side door. He tells three parables here in this chapter, chapter Luke chapter 15, and they all get at the same basic truth. I want to focus this morning on the last one, the one that we typically call the parable of the prodigal son. But let me begin like this. That's not really a good name for this parable. 
We know it by that name, but it's not a great name for several reasons. First of all, there's more than one son in the parable. There are two boys, and they both figure, figure largely. And for another thing, the story doesn't revolve around the two boys. Not really, if you read it closely. It revolves around the father and how he relates to his two sons. The father is at the center of this parable. And if the father in the parable represents God, and almost everybody agrees with that, then the parable is mostly about what God is up to, what God is doing. And the shocking connection is this. Don't miss this. Jesus tells this story, this parable, about a compassionate father to explain his own actions, what he was up to. Note that. Jesus is making a direct line between God in heaven and what he's doing and Jesus on earth and what he's doing. Jesus, what was Jesus doing? He was eating with and going to parties with all the wrong kinds of people, with sinners and tax collectors, with people who stayed home on Sabbath, not because they were live streaming the service, because they didn't care about what the priest said. With tax collectors, those who got money for Rome. Rome, the tyrant. (laughs) It's like working for the IRS if it's run by the Russians. (laughs) Luke tells us that's exactly why he tells the story. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3 again. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Wrong kind of people. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And in each of the three parables, Jesus says that the angels in heaven rejoice when a person repents and turns to God. If that's so, then the earth should follow suit. That's the point. If angels rejoice in party when people come to Christ, when people come to God, then earth should rejoice in party also. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing, hanging out with these people and going to their parties. God is the kind of God. Here's our conclusion. God then, if he's like Jesus, and he is, is the kind of God who throws parties. That's not exactly the way we think of God, is it? The kind of God who throws parties. Who would have come up with that one? What is God like? The most unusual party I've ever been to was associated with a wedding. Several years ago, my neighbor who lived across the street came to me on a Tuesday and asked me to officiate his wedding on a Saturday. Now, usually I have a little more lead time than that. I mean, people spend months and months, even sometimes a year or more, to plan a wedding, but he pops the question to me on a Tuesday. Well, truth be told, the guy who was supposed to officiate his wedding had gotten sick. Something had happened. He couldn't do it, so he came to me. I didn't know him that well, but he felt like we had a connection. The reason he felt that way is because he rode a Harley-Davidson, and I rode a (laughs) Harley-Davidson. He saw the bike parked in my carport. He and his girlfriend lived in the apartment there, and I saw them, I would see them take off on the Harley all the time. And he said, Ruffin, look, the wedding's going to be at Shuckers. (laughs) Shuckers is not a church. It's a dive. It's 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 a pub. It's a bar on the seedy side of town. 
I didn't frequent shuckers. He said, I'm not going to dress up. Don't you dress up. I don't want you to dress up. I'm going to wear a T-shirt with a picture of a tux on the front. <laughs> Never been to a wedding like that. He said, look, I'm going to dress down. I want you to dress down. So I want you to ride your bike to the wedding, wear your leathers, come in. We're going to, we're going to carry on the wedding right there in the bar. I said, all right. I said, I'll do it. I didn't know what else to say. I mean, we rode Harleys. How could I say no, right? So Saturday shows up. And I ride up on my, my leather vest and pants, and I go in, go in the bar, and their motorcycle is sitting right smack dab in the middle of the floor in the pub. He said to me, we're going to take our vows over the bike. Never had a wedding like this before. I said, okay, all right, what can I say? I'm going to do my best to teach and preach Jesus to them. So that's what we did. And we got them hitched, and after the wedding, and everybody's sitting out there, you know, on the tables, having a drink during the whole ceremony, and... Um, it does make for a very relaxed wedding, by the way. And after the wedding, a guy came up to me, rather inebriated, and said, look, I'm planning on getting married in Vegas next month. Could I fly you out there? I said, I don't think so. Not doing that. But at that wedding party, I got to hang out with people I don't normally associate with. Unlike Jesus who evidently was associating with the seedy side of town on a regular basis. And that's why the leaders grumbled. And here's what I think Jesus is telling us in this parable. First of all, he says, God throws parties for self-destructive people. That's what he wants to get across to us. People intent on destroying their lives who run after things that promise a good life, but in the end, they simply cannot deliver. If you know your Bibles a little bit, you know this is exactly what the nation of Israel did and had been doing for centuries before Jesus. Running after the wrong things, always running after what they thought was the good life, what they thought would bring blessing, what they thought would bring them happiness. And in the end, it resulted in exile and alienation. Just like the son in this story. Look at verses 11 through 16 again. Verse 11. <clears throat> and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, <laughs> a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Not exactly what looks good on your resume if you're a Jew. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. That's about as low as you can get now. And no one gave him anything. <laughs> this boy wanted his freedom. He'd been waiting for this day. But you understand, to ask for your inheritance while your father was still alive was to say to him, in fact, I wish you were dead. <laughs> it's kind of like that today if your father still needs the money to be taken care of in his old age. And to leave home at that point in that culture was to reject your responsibility to care for your parents in their old age. It was shameful. 
He could have been brought up on charges in this community. He could have been excommunicated completely from the synagogue because of what he was doing. And yet, his father does not demand his rights. Notice this now. From the very beginning, this father is compassionate and generous. Compassionate and generous. And so the boy, with all the money in his pocket, (laughs) takes a long trip, baby, and he lives it up. He lives it up. He goes from bar to bar and brothel to brothel, brothel to brothel. Whatever looks good, whatever promises any kind of pleasure, he's there and he's in for it. Lots of babes and lots of booze. And then he spends all of it. Maybe he just wasn't taking track, keeping up with what he was doing. Maybe he wasn't a very good accountant, but he runs out of money. Not only that, but now things are really bad. There's a famine in the land. It's really tight. Nobody's hiring hardly. But he finds this one job, taking care of pigs, and he's reduced to eating pig feed. And he's beginning to learn just because it glitters, it's not necessarily gold. It might look good, but it might not be good. And so finally he comes to his senses. He realizes that he's forfeited. He realizes that he's forfeited his place as a son. But maybe, just maybe his father will hire him back as a servant, a hired servant. And so what he does, he packs his few bags and makes this long trip home. And day and night, no doubt, while he's going home, he's rehearsing his speech he's going to make to his father, the one he had rejected. He's practicing his repentance before he gets there. And then one day, he turns up, and he starts down that long lane. (laughs) And his old man evidently been looking for him for a while. So he sees him, and his father does what no self-respecting old man would have ever done in that culture. He lifts his robes, and he runs to his son. He runs to his son, and he welcomes him. His self-destructive son, you got to get a hold of this. He runs to the son who wished he was dead. He runs to the son who wastes all of his inheritance, who threw the family to the wind, who had rejected all of it. And when he meets his son, he doesn't scold him. He doesn't even get angry with him. He doesn't shake his finger and say, I told you so. None of that. What does he do? He kisses his son and he hugs him. What kind of father is this? Who would do this to his self-destructive son? The son begins to recite his repentance, but the father interrupts and says, no, 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 no. Bring the best clothes I got. Now, these are the father's clothes, right? Because the boy had all of his. And bring the ring that makes him a member of the family again. And bring those, that brand new pair of Birkenstocks I just ordered on Amazon. <laughs> bring that for him. And put him on his feet. This boy He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. 
Now he's found. He's come home. This father is partying when a sinner comes home. He tells everybody, we're going to throw a party. I mean, get the fattened calf and kill it. Strike up the band and let's dance, baby. My son has come home. (laughs) This father is doing exactly what Jesus had been doing. Hanging around with these kind of people and partying when they came to God. If your child... Think about this now. If your child demanded his or her inheritance before you died, regardless of what you needed, just demanded their part of the pie before you died, how would that make you feel? Maybe you've had that happen. I don't know. If they went away and wasted all of it and then came back home to you, destitute and penniless, asking for more, wouldn't you and I be tempted to say, (laughs) my friend, you made your bed, now lie in it. You played the fool, now live with it. Wouldn't we be tempted to at least think that? I would. Isn't it wonderfully surprising Listen, my friend, that God is not like that. That he receives people like this. Now, let's put all the cards on the table. Do not misunderstand here. Don't read too much into this. Jesus is not saying you can run away, drink all you want, sleep around with everybody you want to, and come back, and everything's just going to be hunky-dory. That's not what he's saying. Sin does have consequences. Jesus is not saying to us, you can get as deep as you want to into porn, dive as deep as you want for a long time, and finally come to your senses and come back, and everything's going to be A-OK. He's not saying that. But he is saying this. He is saying this, no matter where you go or what you've done, when you repent and come to God, listen, my friend, he will come running to you to meet you. That's what he's saying. He will run to meet you. God throws parties for self-destructive people who repent and come home. You don't have to stay in your shame. Now, that's the first son, self-destructive son. But there are two boys in the story, right? Two sons. That's the younger son. What about the other son? What's up with him? How does he figure into the story and what Jesus is telling us? I think Jesus is telling us this. Secondly, God invites to parties self-righteous people. Or God throws parties for self-righteous people, either one. Folks who resent God's mercy and compassion, they're still invited. People who consider themselves quite moral and quite good. And oftentimes superior to others. 
Look at verses 25 and following. Look at what happens here to this boy. Verse 25. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, read between the lines, slaved for you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, the big contrast in the parable is between the attitude of the father and the older brother as they relate to the younger son. That's the big contrast. Look at how the father relates to his self-destructive son. And look at how the older brother relates to his self-destructive brother. The father in generous love and generosity loves him and welcomes him back. He rejoices when this son returns. The older son in his self-righteousness resents him and wants him kicked out and left out of the family for good. Big difference. The father speaks of the younger boy as your brother. Did you pick up on this? Your brother has come back. Did you pick up on how the older son speaks of his younger son? This, not, not, not my brother, but this son of yours. Yeah. The father speaks that way of the boy, and that's a big contrast. And it's illuminating also that the oldest son refuses the father's invitation to go into the party. You see, we read the story and we get this sense that the younger son, the prodigal, rejects the father by taking all the money and running. (laughs) But the oldest son rejects the father just as much by not coming into the party. He disrespects his father just as much as the younger one did. They're both at fault. Notice also how the older son viewed himself. Look at verse 29. 29. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. (laughs) Do you remember what the prodigal said when he was in the far country? Maybe I can go back to my father and hire myself out as a servant. So the older son seems to resent his status as a servant all these years. And the younger son is just glad to be a servant. Look at the difference of attitude. And finally, notice how this self-righteous, how self-righteousness here sees no need to repent at all. Look at verse 29 again. The oldest son says this, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Do you see that? I never disobeyed. Really? That's a pretty amazing claim. I never disobeyed your command, Father. 
Self-righteous people don't cherish mercy and compassion. They cherish moral superiority. That's how he felt. Before I, um, before I came to Christ, I came to Christ when I was in college, sophomore year at Virginia Tech. I'd grown up in a home that wasn't a Christian home. We went to church every Sunday, but it was kind of a liberal church. It was basically just kind of a different version every Sunday of trying to be good. Various forms of do-goodism. So I had this attitude that I was uh, oftentimes better than other people. I would call myself a self-righteous moralist compared to myself to others, and I usually came out on top. I didn't drink, didn't do drugs much, didn't sleep around, didn't cuss, didn't rob banks, didn't disrespect my parents. Listen, my friend, but I was just as far from God as the cussing, cheating, drinking sex addict. And my big sins were these, my pride and my lovelessness and my sense of superiority when I compared myself to others. The parable leaves us in limbo a bit, doesn't it? The way it ends, we're really not told whether or not the oldest son ever comes into the party or not. It's just kind of left hanging there. What's going to happen? And then it ends. So we really don't know what happens to him. But what we do know is this. What we do know is this, my friend. When someone who was dead is now alive, when someone who was lost is now found, it's time to throw a party. God does, and earth should follow suit. Let's pray together. Lord Christ, we praise you for this story, these stories you told, how powerful they are. May we take hold of what you're telling us as we now come to this table and eat and drink of the Father's generosity and mercy. In your great name we pray. Amen.